Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are uncircumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will build, and I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the laws of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders of the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds but what, what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You have to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went to, down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. 
The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. What's been the strangest COVID-related rule you've come across this year? I don't think there's been a year like this for new guidelines, new laws, new recommendations, and new rules. We've got rules everywhere, at work, at school, at the shops. At my local library two weeks ago, I had to confirm that I hadn't been to uh, the Walls End Diggers Club, the Lampton Park Hotel, and a whole heap of other places I'd never been to before I could go in and borrow a book. Two weeks ago, there were new rules about woodwind instruments in schools. We're talking about saxophones, clarinets, recorders. Apparently, these instruments are like COVID spray bottles and have to be banned from New South Wales schools. Kids of this generation might never know the glory of being in a 500-strong recorder concert at the Sydney Opera House. Gyms are now required to have a 24-hour COVID marshal to make sure the laws are enforced. So the marshal will be there to make sure you'll wash your hands and uh, keep your social distance and clean down the equipment. Does your home have a COVID marshal? Can you point to the person now who is the one uh, enforcing the rules at home? The one perhaps with the mask supply and the homemade alcohol spray, 70% strength. They're the one who's saying, wash your hands, don't touch your face, wipe down that package from Melbourne. <laughs> but that is what life is like now, there's rules. Whether we love them or we hate them, rules are an even bigger part of our lives. Well, is Christianity all about following rules? Now, you might be wondering this if you're looking into this Christian thing. Is this about rules? I mean, Christians seem okay. They seem nice. Is that because they've got a good set of rules, a better set of rules than what I had before? Is that what it's all about? But then, of course, the question is, well, what exactly are these rules? Are they doable, achievable? Do I have to start going to church? Do I have to break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Do I have to stop drinking? Do I have to stop swearing? Do I have to be a social conservative now? Do I have to vote liberal? What are the rules? And when you list it out like that, it doesn't seem that great. I mean, I could understand if you thought, well, that's just too much. I can't possibly become a Christian. These rules are too hard. They're, too, they're not fun. They're, they're not things I can do. And what if you're already a Christian? Like in some ways, it's nice to have a set of rules, kind of so you know where the field of play is and what's out of bounds. But to be honest, if it's about keeping rules, we could be in trouble. Most of us break the rules pretty often. And we feel bad, but then we break them again and again. If this is how we live, there's no way we'll be saved because of all the rules we've broken. Be kind of like the Ruby Princess applying to be the cruise ship of the year award. This wouldn't work. But this issue of uh, rules is what Acts 15 is all about. It's about that question, is Christianity about following rules? Well, let's do a quick recap of Acts so far. Acts is the church's origin story. Just like Darth Vader or the Avengers get their origin story, the church has its own origin story, the book of Acts. It's about how things went from a handful of people around Jerusalem to Christianity spreading out across the known world with churches everywhere. But it's also the story of Jesus, 
how even though he was physically distant from the church, having been raised from dead and ascended, gone up into heaven, he worked through the church to teach people, heal people, and save people. Salvation from death and judgment and hell. He was giving people life and light and hope. It's basically a rescue mission. And the dramatic tension in the story has come from opposition. No mission ever goes without a hitch, and that's been the case throughout Acts. Leaders and rulers of authorities have all opposed Jesus. Christians have been in jail, they've been executed, they've been scattered. But in each chapter, Jesus has come out on top. People saved, people rescued, the gospel spreading. And chapter 14 ends with the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, returning to Antioch in Syria, uh, which is their home base, and the church is strong and growing. Jesus is winning. In chapter 15, though, things change. Up till now, the opposition has been from outside the church, the government, religious authorities, and so on. But now, the conflict is within. For the first time, the Christians start arguing among themselves. It's kind of like when the Avengers start infighting. You're wondering, is the whole mission at risk now? So let's pick up the story in verses 1 and 2. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Well, here's the problem. Certain people come from Judea. That's where Jerusalem, their capital, is. They seem to be uh, Christian religious experts. And they come with a divisive message. You must get circumcised to be saved. The men must cut off their foreskins according to Jewish law, the law of Moses. Jesus is great. They're saying, sure, but you must do this too. And suddenly there's a whole lot of dispute and debate. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, here we go. This is what Christians are like. They're always debating among themselves. There's so many denominations of churches, so many brands. Even when they split off, they split again. Christianity is not a unifying force in this world. It's a dividing force. And here we see it all starting. Well, we'll come back to that later, but here we are. Here's the rule, circumcision. Not the most fun rule to obey, but it's a big part of Jewish law. It's a rule. And now, that's not really the rule people talk about anymore, though, like uh, when it comes to becoming a Christian. It's not part of any evangelistic course I know. Imagine week five of life, Dave Robertson standing there and say, hey guys, welcome to life. We've got a special treat for you today. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? But as we've seen, we all have our own list of rules that we feel we need to keep if we are to be saved. So that sentence in verse one could pretty much be the same for us. Just rephrase. Unless I do this thing, I cannot be saved. Unless I keep this rule, I cannot be saved. We saw that in those examples before. Unless I start going to church or break up with my boyfriend or stop getting drunk, I cannot be saved. We can write that sentence for ourselves. And therefore, we come to that question. Is Christianity about keeping rules? So, what happens? How is this dispute resolved? Well, it's interesting what they don't do. Obviously, they can't Google the question. That option isn't available at that time. They don't cast lots like they did in chapter 1 when they chose Matthias. They don't wait for a vision. What do they do? They call a meeting. The church in Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas to the apostles in Jerusalem. 
Here we have one of the first examples of Christians sorting out an issue with a big meeting. That's how we do it. So the next time we call a meeting, come to the meeting. That's how we solve problems. And then we come to the debate in verse 5. Team circumcision goes first. They're also called here the party of the Pharisees, which means they were probably uh, very full-on Jewish law keepers who had become Christians. And they say in verse 5, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. There it is. Keep the rules. In this case, not just circumcision, but the whole law of Moses. Now, it's a good speech. It's, it's very to the point. I approve of that sort of length speech. It's great. And everyone, uh, obviously, you know, he takes that on board. They discuss that for a while, and we're wondering, what will they say, yes or no? Is this the moment when Christianity confirms that it's a religion about rules? Well, what we see in the next 15 verses is the response. Three speakers come up, and three pieces of evidence are put forward. Let's see who they are and what the evidence is. Speaker one is Peter, the apostle. A good start, strong start here. And Peter says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, what do you try, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He says, no, the Gentiles do not need to get circumcised. His evidence is that God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. We saw that in chapter 10. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt in the hearts of Gentiles. They praised God. They spoke in tongues. They believed in Jesus. God purified their hearts by faith. And were they circumcised at that point? No. God didn't care. So why would we make them follow a rule when God didn't require them to follow a rule before he gave them the Spirit? So Peter says, don't test God or provoke God by making them keep a rule or a set of rules. It's not even a set of rules that we could keep anyway. The answer is no. Well, we'll come back to uh, Peter's speech in a bit, especially verse 11, but that's the first piece of evidence, the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. So we've got speaker two is Paul, or, or Paul and Barnabas, and that's in verse 12. What are they going to say? Let's read it. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So here, in this case, we don't have the speech itself, but the answer implied is no. You can look at the book of Galatians for more on what Paul taught about the law. The answer is no. The evidence presented here is that God did signs and wonders among the Gentiles. And we're talking particularly about miraculous healing, as previous chapters have described. And once again, did God require circumcision before performing these signs? No. So why would they make the Gentiles get circumcised now? So here we have the second piece of evidence, signs and wonders. So overall, it's looking good for the no case. Now, do we have a strong third speaker to bring it home? Well, yes, here we have speaker three is James. That's the brother of Jesus. He's a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he speaks in verse 13. Let's look at that now. 
Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, and that's Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. His answer is no. They do not need to get circumcised. He says it there at the end. Let's not make it difficult for them. And his evidence is the Old Testament. He goes back to the Bible. He's a good Bible guy. The quote is from Amos 9, and God had said there hundreds of years ago that the Gentiles will be included as God's people, not as Jewish converts, but as Gentiles. So the Bible says that Gentiles are welcome. And so we have three speakers, three pieces of evidence, Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas and James, and the evidence being the Spirit because of the miracles and because of the Bible. The answer is no. They don't need to get circumcised and keep the Jewish rules. Case closed. Now, what about a courtroom summary? Everyone likes a good summary. And I think the best summary is there in Peter's speech in verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That's worth repeating. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, this is worth reflecting on. How are we saved? Is it through keeping the rules? No. We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. This means that Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Ruler, He did all the work, not us. If there were any rules to keep, He kept them. If there was any work to do, He did it. Because of our rule-breaking, He took our place and suffered the penalty for rule-breaking. He died on the cross for us and rose again so that we might be forgiven for all our sins, all our failings, and all our law-breaking. And what has he saved us from? He saved us from death, from judgment, from hell. This is grace. It's about his mercy, his kindness, his undeserved favor to us. That is how we are saved. So whatever those rules are, grace means that we are not saved by keeping them. You do not need to go to church to be saved. You do not need to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend to be saved. You do not need to stop getting drunk to be saved. You do not need to be socially conservative to be saved. You do not need to have a neat and tidy marriage and family life to be saved. As Peter says, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So I ask you, will you accept his grace? Will you accept God's mercy and kindness? Do you want to be saved? Well, if the answer is yes, 
please pray with me at the end of the talk. Before we go further, though, you might remember from the reading that uh, James had a little more to say, a few certain conditions. Have you ever had that when you've uh, that experience when you've uh, come across the fine print or some conditions? Did that happen to you when your COVID plans were cancelled this year? Oh, so your travel plans were cancelled because of COVID? Is that what's going on here in Acts 15? Is, have we come across some fine print, a catch? Well, let's look at this now. So from verse 19, James continues. He says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Well, what's all this about? We, there's four things not to do here, four things to abstain from. Food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and blood. Feels a bit random, doesn't it? What's going on? Is this like a mini-law? You know, so perhaps circumcision's a bit hard, a bit painful. Let's not have a big law like that. Let's just have a mini-law, uh, rule-keeping for dummies. Uh, have you heard about the four-ingredient cookbook? Apparently that you can cook all sorts of meals with just four ingredients. Uh, maybe here we have Christianity is about rules, yes, but just not as many as the Jewish law. We've got a four-law manual. No, no, that's not it. This is actually about love. See, one of the features of these churches uh, was community. People met together and ate together as Jews and Gentiles. You could call it table fellowship. Uh, in fact, that was one of the miracles of the gospel, that Jews and Gentiles, traditional enemies, could eat in each other's homes, share a meal together. Because you'll notice that three of the four laws are about food. Now, eating blood was forbidden in the Jewish law. Strangling an animal was uh, not in the law exactly, but possibly a way of keeping the blood in the animal. And food polluted by idols uh, means food that was ceremonially offered to Greek or Roman gods before being sold at the temple. And even though Jesus taught that all foods were spiritually clean, uh, that's Mark 7 verse 19, it would have been really hard for Jewish Christians to sit down and share a meal of idol food and blood. It'd be really hard. So what's going on here is that James is saying, look, out of love for your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, don't eat the stuff that makes it really hard to share a meal. Paul talks about the same idea in Romans 14. And there he says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Can you see that? This is about acting in love. It's about not insisting on our rights and freedoms, but instead acting in love for the sake of others. Now, for us at this moment, the issues that make fellowship hard are not so much about food, not usually, but the principle is just as real. We're saved by grace, yes, but we must now act in love. And the question for us now is, what would it look like to not insist on my rights, but instead do what is helpful for others? 
I think this is very helpful as we work out how to be together during coronavirus, how to have fellowship in the time of COVID. I mean, if, if each of us continually insists on our own rights, fellowship becomes hard or impossible. For example, if we insist on not wearing a mask because that's my right, or if I demand that others wear a mask because that's my right, can you see how a fellowship breaks down? But if what guides my behavior is what is helpful and what is loving, then fellowship becomes possible again. For example, we, we might wear a mask for the sake of others, or we might let someone greet us without a mask for the sake of others. And of course, like mask wearing is only one thing. This applies to all sorts of situations where we are together. It's the principle. Let me give you a non-COVID example. Often my family, uh, often people invite my family around for a meal. And that is really great. It's not easy inviting pastors around. People tend to worry. Uh, will my kids' behavior embarrass me? Will my husband embarrass me? Will I say grace in the wrong way? Just a quick tip here, Sam Hilton, he loves to sing grace and hold hands. So <laughs> next time you're inviting him around, so that's just a way you can help him out. But we worry. Will the pastor judge me for the cars I own, perhaps, or the size of my TV, or, or for owning a Thermomix? Add to that, of course, pastors can be pretty strange. At HBC, uh, our pastors, we have lovely wives, we have lovely kids, but the pastors themselves could be pretty strange. One of our pastors, I won't say who, the last time he came around, did burnouts on my driveway. <laughs> We had the stink of burning rubber come through our house and two long stripes on the driveway. So it can be hard to invite pastors around. But anyway, very kindly, people sometimes do invite us around and they say something like, look, no, they might say this, they, we tend to have a glass of wine with dinner. Would you be okay with that? Or is that something you'd prefer not to have? And isn't that great? They see, they're not thinking, well, we're going to have alcohol with dinner because it's my house and that's how I do it and that's how we do things around here. I don't care what they think. No, no, no. They're giving up their rights. Whatever makes table fellowship better for you, it's an act of love. Now, that's the principle we want to have in our church community. Saved by grace, but not insisting on our rights for the sake of loving others. That's what's going on in these food rules. Like, wouldn't it be great to see this even more in our church? How many little issues or conflicts would disappear if we took this on? Well, uh, the decision then about, about abstaining from, that, the fourth one, abstaining from sexual immorality, is similar to the food laws, but also a bit different. It's similar in that sexual immorality is not loving for a community. How can fellowship exist if Person A has slept with the wife of person B who's had an affair with the relative of person C. I mean, sexual immorality just destroys community. In the ancient world, Gentiles in Roman and Greek cities had a reputation for being into any and every kind of sexual activity, prostitution, sexual slavery, open marriages, and so on. Their sexual ethics were kind of like the worst reality TV show you could imagine. In contrast, the Jews were very conservative. They had the same sinful hearts like all of us do, but they kept it under wraps a bit more. So 
James is saying, please abstain from sexual immorality. It's not loving. It makes community very hard. But this instruction is different from the food laws in that Jesus didn't cancel laws about sex like he did with the food laws. Jesus affirmed marriage between a man and a woman, and he affirmed celibacy in singleness. He said, don't just not commit adultery, but don't even look lustfully at another person. That's, that's Matthew 5. He just turned up the dial on being godly and pure with our bodies and minds. Jesus is so full on for love and gentleness and respect that he wants all his disciples to keep away from sexual immorality. The Apostle Paul, writing on behalf of Jesus, said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8, speaking about this, he says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Did you notice this? Some of Paul's points. You should avoid sexual immorality. Probably referencing that letter, uh, Acts 15. Each of you should learn to control your own body. And he said, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And once again, this is about love. He says we should not wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So on this point, I just want to speak to the Christians watching for a moment. Friends, we must abstain from sexual immorality. It's not loving. It's not what Jesus wants. Now, this is true all the time, but especially during COVID. COVID means more time alone, more boredom, more frustration. It's a time when pornography becomes more appealing. Uh, Hookup apps become more appealing. It's a time when sleeping over with our boyfriend or girlfriend becomes more likely to happen. The pandemic of coronavirus could become a pandemic of sexual immorality. Friends, we must keep away from all of that out of love and out of obedience to Jesus. So just think, where are the dangers for you at this time? Don't be complacent. Don't give in to sin. We can pray about it. We can encourage each other. But let's fight those temptations and abstain from sexual immorality. All right, so coming back to Acts 15, we we see there that these rules, these four rules, it's not about a mini law. We are still saved by grace. But these rules are about love in Christian fellowship. And the rest of the chapter records the content of the letter going back to Antioch, and people respond with joy. So the outcome here is not divisions and fights, it's actually unity. There's no denominations forming out of this. Christianity, once again, is a unifying force. So what have we looked at today? Well, Early on in the church's origin story, the danger came up not from just dangers, not just from outside, but within. And the question came up, is following Jesus about keeping rules? And the answer is clear. No. In verse 11, as it says, we believe is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So if you are not yet a Christian, don't worry about rules. Don't let rules, whatever they might be or you think they are, 
Don't let them keep you from following Jesus. James said in verse 19, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is true. There is nothing difficult about turning to God. We are saved by grace, not rule keeping. So, please come back to God today. Say to Jesus in your heart, I want to follow you from now on. Please forgive my sin and accept me by grace as I am. And we would love to pray with you. You can contact us through phone or the website. And for the Christians watching, don't let rules be the basis of your faith. We are saved through grace and stand in grace and live in grace and will eventually die and rise in grace. We are not saved by rule keeping. Don't put a burden on yourself that God has taken off. But then as we receive grace, don't live out of selfishness. Don't insist on your rights. Live a life of love, including sexual purity, for the sake of peace, for the sake of fellowship, and the good of each other. Let's thank God for his grace and ask for his help. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your grace and mercy shown to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are saved through the grace of Jesus and not through keeping rules. We want to admit that we have sinned. We have ignored you. We have broken rules. We ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your ongoing grace and mercy. Now, with Jesus as our Lord and with the help of your Holy Spirit, help us to live a life of love, not insisting on our own rights and freedoms, but doing what is good for others. Help us with this, especially during the stress of the coronavirus pandemic. Help us particularly abstain from sexual immorality in every way. We pray that the time would come soon when we can enjoy physical fellowship without restrictions in church and in each other's homes. May that be soon. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.